So I will say I'm Valerie Richardson. You're listening to listener supported WPKN and Bridgeport. I'm really happy this afternoon to be joined by um, uh, several women who will be talking about the, the Connecticut witch trials of the 1600s and, and what some of their um, descendants of these, these so-called witches are now doing to get them exonerated here in Connecticut. So I'm joined by Beth Caruso, who is the author of One of Windsor, the Untold Story of America's First Witch Hanging, as well as The Salty Rose, Alchemists, Witches, and a Tapper in New Amsterdam. And she is really uh, one of the people who is spearheading this, this whole effort. Also on the line right now, I have Laura Secord, who is a poet, uh, um, and her book is called An Art, A Craft, and a Mystery. And she is based in Alabama and a descendant of one of Connecticut's, which is from the, from the 17th century. And we will be joined in a little bit by Sarah Jack, who is another descendant. So I, I guess I'm going to start with you, Beth, just to talk a little bit about your interest in this subject and, and how you got into it. And you know, as you've now written a couple of books and are now involved in this, um, this effort here in Connecticut. Well, I first heard about the Connecticut witch trials after moving to Connecticut from Ohio. And it was really just, it really just started with a conversation with my neighbor where I said, I am going to Salem for the first time. I'm so excited. And she stopped me and she said, well, you know, the very first person to hang for witchcraft in all of New England was from this town which was absolutely shocking to me. And um, so from there, I had to find out more. Um, I was horrified that the first person to hang for witchcraft, Alice Young of Windsor, Connecticut, was barely known even in my town of Windsor, Connecticut. And so I felt like I had to do something about that and investigated, explored, did research, um, tried to fill in some gaps. Well, with her story, there's a lot of gaps, tried to do my best to do that, and um, ended up writing a historical novel, one of Windsor about her. The reason why I chose that form is because, you know, there's so few uh, actual records. I had to piece together a lot of things, um, around that story and it, and it did add up to a story. So, um, that's where I got started and just have met up with other people along the way. The first person was Tony Grigo, who had been working in 2000 eight with some other descendants with the Connecticut state legislature to exonerate the Connecticut witch trial victims. That effort wasn't successful, but later on, Tony and I and others, including the first church of Windsor went before the town council and town council in Windsor and just asked for recognition of Windsor's two Connecticut witch trial victims, again, Alice Young and also Lydia Gilbert. And that was in February of 2017. Since 2016, Tony and I 
Tony and I have run the CT Witch Memorial uh, Facebook page to try and get and, and try and get others on board with recognizing these witch trial victims. And, um, you know, then I met uh, many other people, including Sarah Jack, um, Josh Hutchinson, um, Tony's on board as well, and Mary Bingham, who's actually a descendant of someone who died in the Salem trials. So it's just kind of snowballed with uh, connecting with different people and sharing the stories over time. It, it is very fascinating. And I've been telling people when I, I first read some articles about you and, and Zephard and um, now speaking with you today about about these conversations. And they said people actually know that they're descended from witches. And um, that's that's pretty fascinating. So, Laura, you are um, you are one of those descendants. And and what generation are you um, down the line? And and how did how did this play out in you understanding it in your own life? My husband is a historian and a genealogist, and he had already researched his family, and he had started researching mine. And I didn't even realize he was doing that till one day he came to me and said well, your 14th great, great, great was uh, found guilty of witchcraft in, <laughs> in Connecticut in the 1600s. And he showed me this article that had been written in American Heritage Magazine, probably in the 60s by a guy named John Demis, who is known as people take his word for truth a lot, although it's not. And I was so irritated by it because it gave the little four line quote about Lydia Gilbert saying that she had been found guilty of, of witchcraft in a death that had occurred three years earlier. Um, and John Demis immediately launched into like a 10 page article in American Heritage with every stereotype of the witch that we've heard all through time. And I was like, how do you know this? There's four lines and you're assuming that she was mean and ugly and rude and hostile and everybody hated her. And it just, you know, it got me angry because I knew this was my ancestor, even though I knew nothing about her. I thought, where do you get off of making her evil? And so I, I thought, well, I also don't like that culture very much, that Puritan culture. They were so harsh towards women, mm. but, um, I, I said, well, I found my ancestor. I need to write about her. And this is what I do. I write poetry. I wrote, write stories in poetry about historical people whose voices have never been heard. That's my favorite thing to do. So I started on the project. And with the help of my husband, who turned me on to reading a lot of different things besides secondary um, stereotypical stuff that's been written about um, Lydia Gilbert starting to investigate deeply into primary sources. And also I needed to understand the lives of women then. You know, we have know so little. I know Beth does because she's done a lot of research, but we know so little about the lives of women. When we learn about those times, what we learn about is the big name famous men and women didn't write much at all. And so we have nothing. And so I had to do a lot of reading of people who had researched the lives of women at that time and 
Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, who wrote The Midwife's Tale and also wrote a book about women at that time called Good Wives, really helped me understand how hard life was, but not only how hard life was, but how complex the relationships were. It wasn't just all men telling the women what to do. Many relationships with men and women were had to be egalitarian because you couldn't live without that. I mean, this is a wild, complete frontier that most of these folks that came to didn't know anything about existing in. And they had to learn from scratch how to live in a new world. And I, one of the things that got to me is, you know, these women are our foremothers. They helped create this nation. And all we've done is put a veil of shame over them instead of celebrating the fact that they helped create this country. And they're, you know, these are my ancestors. I also discovered that Catherine Harrison um, from Weathersfield was possibly closely related to Lydia Gilbert. And I pulled her into my book as well. Um, now, you know, there's all, a lot of these things don't have proof, but there's enough relationship with Gilberts between Catherine Harrison and the other Gilberts that had settled in the area that it's pretty clear to me there was a relationship. So I read in one book that there was a possibility that Catherine Harrison was a niece of Lydia Gilbert. So I went with that. And I created, you know, it's fiction. We can't do anything but create fiction because we don't have all the truth. And the lives of women weren't even considered important enough to be included in the truth. So, but we do know that these, these women did exist and that they were, um, I, I don't know if they were all hanged, but they were all killed for, after being accused of being witches. And most, we're also most, welcomed now by Sarah Jack. Hi, Sarah, nice to have you along um, on the conversation this afternoon. Thank Hi. you. Thanks for having me. Hi. So um, I, I'm, I'm very curious about your uh, your background in this um, with your, your ancestors. And you were also, um, I guess, the head of the Connecticut Witch Trial Exoneration Project. So maybe you can also talk about, um, talk about both of those things. Sure. So I am very passionate about as, um, as much as possible, the actual history, reaching those that are interested, even reaching those who don't know that they need the truth. So um, that was the piece that pushed me um, into this project and this interest, because I know that much more can be known. These are um, individuals. Um, we might just have bits and pieces of history, but history is constantly uncovered. The more people research, the more diaries, documents, other trial records that are looked at, we pick up more pieces of the story. And I don't think we have to wait for that truth to get out there. We can start by um, social media and by partnering with each other. And a few years ago, um, I was researching in my family tree. I am a descendant of Salem accused witches, Rebecca and Mary. They were sisters. They were town of the town family. And so I had that knowledge on my radar. And um, while I was researching, I realized that there was a set of gals in Connecticut that were accused witches. And I thought, well, 
how can this be? This isn't Salem. That was 2019. And, you know, I thought, oh, Salem was this event in America, the event. And after researching them, their names are Winifred Benham and Winifred Benham Jr. And they did survive. Um, They had to flee. They had to flee the state of Connecticut um, because they were going to be brought to trial. The acceptable proof of their charges was one, they had bewitched. So that was considered enough um, of an accusation. They had witch marks. They had caused and I put, say that in quotes, um, which marks on their bewitched victims. Um, and, you know, they saw the writing on the wall and they left. That's one, one of the trials. There's over 47 individuals in Connecticut and um, that were accused. When I realized that Massachusetts witch trial history was not isolated, I wanted to know more. And I wanted everybody to know what I was learning. So I decided to um, start a Facebook page and a Twitter account. And I just slowly over the last few years started um, connecting with sources of research and truth. Beth Crusoe and Tony Grigo of the Connecticut Witch Memorial was one of my first um, connections. And we have become important to each other. Um, it's grown from there. The other um, members of the steering committee, I would call it, of the Connecticut um, exoner- witch trial or accused witch exoneration project, I connected with them through the social media over the years, and that was the social media was the glue for us. But we saw um, opportunity to work with each other, and um, when um, the Elizabeth Johnson of North Andover, she when she hit the news that she was going to be exonerated by Massachusetts as the overlooked victim, it gave us an opportunity to start talking a little bit louder, and that's what we did. So we together have worked to um, extend our social media footprint. Um, we have the petition rolling were close to 800 signatures in um, less than two months. I think that's very quick. Um, and Mary Bingham, who is part of our project, was um, able to work with Beth and connect with Jane Garraby, one of the lawmakers in Connecticut. And we have the political piece in place now. So we're working through that process. What kind of acknowledgement does Connecticut want? What can they get? And one of the other things that really drives me is um, this is its own new, I mean, this is groundbreaking. It's groundbreaking for Connecticut because it's been under the carpet for so long. They're going to have to find their footing and decide what do we want this footprint to be. The truth of the history is there, but how are we going to present this history? And I want to be there ready to help get that education piece to the community. You're listening to listener supported WPKN in Bridgeport at 89.5 FM online at WPKN.org. 
I'm speaking with author Beth Caruso of Windsor, Connecticut. She's working with a number of individuals who are descended from people accused of being witches here in Connecticut, many of whom were put to death in the 1600s. Two of these individuals are Laura Secord of Alabama and Sarah Jack of Colorado, and the group is all of them working together to have the Connecticut legislature declare exoneration for these accused witches. So I think I read somewhere, um, and maybe it was uh, something you said, Beth, that there has been recognition of of these, of these I want to say women, but it's, it was women and men, recognition, but this, um, this, this idea of exoneration is a step, a step further. Um, and, and, and I guess, is that what this petition is about? Yes. Um, what happened in Windsor was only for the two Windsor victims at that point in time, since it had previously failed in the legislature, um, Tony Grigo and I took the tack that we would go from town to town. And then um, if enough towns participated in at least recognizing their witch trial victims, then perhaps we would have enough, you know, force behind us to go ahead and try for the state legislature again. Well, we were successful in Windsor as far as just recognition for those two victims. Um, Goody Knapp from Fairfield was also recognized there. Um, there's a memorial rock for her at the place where they think she hanged. And that took place in the summer, I think it was August of 2019. Um, but you know, since then, aside from sharing stories, there hasn't been too much. Um, this whole thing actually started um, May 26, six um, to 2022 was the 375th anniversary of the first hanging in the American colonies, that of Alice Young. And, um, you know, I got on Twitter, I was a bit disappointed and uh, about, you know, Alice still at this point, not being officially exonerated, not even um, mentioned by certain historical organizations. And uh, Mary Bingham saw that post. She said, that's wrong. Things are happening for Elizabeth Johnson, the last of the Salem convicted. We need to do something about Connecticut. So um, I told her I had talked to Jane Garibay, who's my rep for Windsor, about three years ago or so. And Jane Garibay had been very interested in that at that time. But then COVID hit and I hadn't really talked to her about it since. So, um, you know, Mary was very excited about it. She reached out to Jane. Jane was still interested. And then that's when... Sarah got on board with us pretty much immediately and Josh, and we found a way to communicate with many of the um, descendants. And so um, that's how we connected with Laura and we're bringing on new descendants all the time, um, wanting them to share their stories. Um, and Laura's case, it's, you know, with her beautiful book of 
poetry. It's her interpretation of the story of Lydia Gilbert and Katherine Harrison, um, which is wonderful because um, we do have some facts in Connecticut, but we don't have as many as in Massachusetts. And that's probably one of the reasons that these trials are lesser known. The other reason is because we had a governor who was an alchemist, um, a physician, and he, he weighed in on the witch trials in Connecticut. And as an alchemist and Rosicrucian, he did not believe that the people who were accused of witchcraft were capable of the things that they were being accused of, such as changing the weather or causing epidemics. And eventually he was able to stop the witch trials in Connecticut, at least the hangings. He stopped the hangings 30 years before the Salem trials even happened. So that's a big difference too. And Laura had earlier mentioned um, consulting primary sources. So I do think that it's, it's interesting that you, you, you have some really good documentation about these, these people and what happened. And I'm, I guess just through various, various town records that, that you, you are able to go back and actually look at, look at documents and see what happened. And it, yes, that's the case. One of the wonderful things I got my hands on, thanks to my husband was the colonial court records. And I was able to look at the records of Windsor in the days that Lydia Gilbert was living there. And I was able, I also had the map of Windsor, which I got through the um, historical society in Windsor that included the homes of the people. You know, I could see where Alice Young lived. I could see where some of the characters that appeared in the court records. I have a poem about a woman who is, uh, is sentenced to 10 lashes because her voice is too loud and harsh. And that came, that came out of the court records, but then it became, it turned into a poem about the experience of women in um, early Windsor. So things like that were, I was able to expand my, um, with a little detail, you could imagine the, what the story might've been. And that was kind of the process I used for the book. Also, Catherine Harrison's trial is very, is well-documented. Thanks to the Willis Papers, which um, the Connecticut Witch Memorial Project has been, has been sharing parts of, but there's a lot more documentation of Catherine Harrison's trial with many, many different accusations against her. She um, ends up not being executed because there are not two accusations that are the same. And actually because of Catherine, she also wrote the magistrates and talked about how she'd been bullied in her community after the death of her husband. And she presented a letter to the magistrates telling of all the terrible things that had happened to her and her property. And I think that made them look twice. So she was found guilty but because of her letter and because of the fact that the ministers looked over the evidential information, they came up with something of the rules of evidence that we use now that we don't usually think, you think you have to have two people saying the same thing before it's true. And she didn't probably ever know that she affected our justice system, but she did. 
I've I've read about one um, person accused and I, I think executed in Connecticut, and um, it was actually a gentleman. Um, he had one eye, and he had a pig who had um, then had a, a a litter in which one of the piglets had a one eye, and you can you know you can draw the obvious conclusion there that you know he he, he had, had fornicated with the pig, and obviously he must be a witch, and um, so that's only and that's the, that's the sort of logic that well, that a lot of these. Yeah. We have to remember that these people didn't have the science we have. And they had come to a completely strange and unusual world that was wild and full of new things. And what would they do? They would put um, religion on top of those strange things they didn't understand. And I think that was part of what fueled people getting hysterical. Something strange happens. There's a coincidence. Suddenly, it's got to be something that the devil had to do with when it probably has completely normal explanation if you knew science, but this is the 1600s. You know, so everything got fueled by certain beliefs. And of course, even though men were accused, women were more frequently accused and more frequently executed because they were not, they were, they had a, they were not trusted. And even though without them, this country couldn't have survived. Right, that's a, that's a very good point. And, and Beth, you said that you have, um, and you were referring earlier to your, your spreadsheet, which I thought was, it was, you know, it was interesting talking about witchcraft and, and, and putting everything on a spreadsheet. Um, but you said that 47, that's the number that you, you know about? Um, I, yes, again, I'd have to look at that, the uh, witchcraft <laughs> trial spreadsheet that Jack, uh, that uh, Josh Hutchinson came up with for us. Um, but I believe the number is something like that. Now, some of those accusations happened, um, three times. We have a woman named Elizabeth Seeger who was accused three times and she was actually convicted, but she was convicted 1663 this was after the last hangings happened already and Winthrop Jr. was governor and he refused to carry out the sentence, even though she was convicted. Um, but, you know, we have discovered over time, not we as in our group, but uh, we as in people who are looking at these Connecticut trials have found new records over time. Um, and most of these records are actually found not necessarily in the trial records themselves, because many of them don't exist anymore, but they are from slander cases. I mean, everything we know about Goody Knapp from Fairfield and Goody Bassett from uh, Stratford, we know by looking at other trial records uh, for slander. So hopefully there will be more information that comes out. And then, um, you know, as Laura said, when you're talking about women, you often don't get a lot of really direct detailed information. Um, so with the case of Alice Young, um, 
I really had to put together all her neighbors on the street where she lived in 1647 and try to find patterns of what was going on at that time. For her, there was an epidemic and there were several people that died, which quadrupled, more than quadrupled the death rate in Windsor for that year. Um, looking at it from an epidemiology perspective, there were four children right next door to her that died in 1647 while her own child lived. And then the other children that died from that flu epidemic um, were children of very important people like the minister in town, the town doctor. Um, so just piecing all that together was how the original records kind of showed what may have happened in Windsor during that time. You're listening to listener supported WPKN in Bridgeport at 89.5 FM online at WPKN.org. I'm speaking with author Beth Caruso of Windsor, Connecticut. She's working with a number of individuals who are descended from people accused of being witches here in Connecticut, many of whom were put to death in the 1600s. Two of these individuals are Laura Secord of Alabama and Sarah Jack of Colorado. And the group is all of them working together to have the Connecticut legislature declare exoneration for these accused witches. There was, um, I think everyone knows sort of the famous float test of uh, if, if you put a, a witch in water, an accused witch in water, if that person floats, then they're they're a witch. And if they sink, then they're they're not a witch. And um, was that was that actually done in Connecticut? Winifred uh, Sr. and Jr., that was one of the pieces of evidence against them. They were subjected to that test. And they, and they were they were in Wallingford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And during the Hartford Witch Panic, the heirs, uh, Goody Ayers and her husband, William Ayers, were subjected to that test as well. They did not hang. Um, but they were some of the first convicted during the Hartford Witch Panic of 1662 and three. Um, at that point, everyone in Connecticut who had been accused and then indicted what had been found guilty, convicted and hanged. So uh, Goody Ayers, I wish I knew her first name, but her and her husband were not gonna fool around with those kind of odds. So uh, a friend got them out of jail in the middle of the night. They fled, they left behind their property, their children. And um, even though they didn't lose their lives, they obviously still lost a lot. So the um, Connecticut has its, its legislation, legislative session at the beginning of the year uh, every year, is, will this will there be something presented in in this upcoming session? We're hoping that, well, I should say, um, Representative Gar Garibay is hoping that she can present this in the winter session. Right now, she's doing research with others. They're um, communicating with legislatures in Massachusetts to see how they did it. 
they're, they are working on the same thing in Scotland. So um, we are forwarding her information about that in case she wants to get a hold of these people. Because this effort failed the first time in 2008, uh, we really want to get all our ducks in a row and present the strongest case possible. So right now we're doing a lot of research to figure out the best way to approach this. And, and why did it fail in 2008? Well, apparently they ran out of time with the session. The, there were descendants that gave 45 minutes of testimony and then they ran out of time. But things have changed dramatically since that time. I don't think there was the same level of enthusiasm. There was no social media talking about the Connecticut witch trials. Even if you looked at um, the press newspaper articles, there were very few at that time. There just wasn't the same level of education, the same level of knowledge, the same level of interest in the general public. Um, I mean, most of the talks that I've gone to in the beginning, you know, I'd say how many people in this room know that there were trials in Connecticut? And this is even in Connecticut. Uh, and, you know, very few people would raise their hand. And now I notice that there are more and more who know about this. So I think now there's a lot more um, descendant knowledge as well because of all the ancestry that people are doing right now. Um, in addition to that, you know, the general public just has a lot more to latch on to as far as information that's out there. Yeah, it's all very fascinating. And I, I, I certainly wish you luck and let's stay in touch as, as this goes forward. As I was talking to Beth earlier, I, I, I said we should also just touch on because it's so uh, is there so many obvious parallels between that time and now, mm -hmm. and particularly with the recent Supreme Court decision, um, a lot of the other, um, you know, threat and restriction against people's sexual activity, against people's lives, against women's bodies, against women. And so um, I, I, I'd like to say something to that, <laughs> because I think part of this you know, hysteria of witchcraft and um, witch accusations is being brought back as well with things like teachers being turned in by other people because of what they're talking about in the classroom. The way healthcare providers have been treated since the pandemic have been, you know, that's these, many of these women were healers. I know Alice Young take, took care of people um, Lydia Gilbert, Katherine Harrison, they were healers and midwives, and how people have been turned against. And then, of course, Samuel Alito quoting a witch hunter as the basic reason that we had to, um, had to abolish Roe. All of that kind of thinking is coming back. And I think it's really important now to address this as the threats against women and the threats against open thinking is, are being out there, coming against us again in our communities. It's the same thing. And I think that's so important for us to address this now as 
these kind of things are happening again to people in this country. Right. And I think especially the you do look now and as you said, the healers are, are, are being threatened. The, the, the progressives, the healers, the intellectuals, um, people who do do rise above maybe the, 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 the masses in their, in their thinking um, are seen, seen, seen as a threat. And that rat on your friends and neighbors thing, which is, you know, happening with the Texas law about, you know, the Texas uh, abortion law, teachers and school systems across the Southeast having cameras in their classrooms so the school boards can watch what they're saying. I mean, that kind of stuff is starting to happen now. And it's not, it has more technology, but it's the same thinking that people were turning in their neighbors for being witches. Right. Sure. There's a chill. I mean, there's a chilling effect right now. You see the same mix as there was back then. You have information, propaganda, outright lies about a targeted group. Um, then that leads to general fear of other in the population. And then it leads to a false accusation. I mean, um, now I, I'm concerned, I'm also a medical provider. Um, I am also concerned for, you know, pregnancy being um, looked at with suspicion now, just any um, pregnancy loss. As um, Laura said, there's this law, a vigilante law in Texas now. Um, so, someone can just go after their neighbor. They hear that, you know, she's lost a pregnancy. What if they're suspicious of her? Um, they can want to claim their $10,000 by, you know, making up lies about her or, you know, giving voice to their suspicion, which may not have any merit. And, and really, why should it be any of their business anyway? Um, it's, it's, quite scary and quite chilling what's going on. I think targeting many groups for different reasons. Um, the Puritan times, that was a theocracy. And I think the founding of the US was a reaction to that in some ways. That is why they included separation of church and, and state in our constitution and laws that people are coming up with now that are based on religious thought are counter to that and really are more representative of theocracy and that type of government that the Puritans had. I mean, they, they didn't tolerate anyone else. They beat Baptists, they went after Quakers, they went after other religious groups, they went after natives, they went after gays. The, the three groups that were hanged in early Connecticut, all, all the three groups that were hanged were Native Americans, homosexuals, and so-called witches. Hmm. Very interesting. And Sarah, you're based in uh, Colorado, so. I am based in Colorado. Um, there's another piece 
of this with modern witch hunting that I hope people start to realize. And that is right now there are murderous witch huntings in this world, in Africa, in many countries in Africa. It's such a problem that there is um, an, the advocacy for alleged witches. That's in Africa. It, it has a 10 year plan, a 10 year goal to try to stop the persecution of witches in Africa. So um, we have the history here in colonial America. We have um, the political witch hunting happening in modern America, but in other parts of this world, old women, orphans, um, as um, Beth, the term that Beth uses that I just love is others, the others, or she might say it better than me, but others, people who fall into that category of other, they are being hunted and killed still. I mean, those are actual witch hunts. And um, today I was looking for, every day I search to see who's talking about witch history or witch hunts or pop culture and witches. Is there a new movie coming out or what's happening? And I saw that um, very talented Adam Lambert has a new um, five city tour in California coming out this fall for Halloween, the witch hunt. And Halloween is awesome. And Adam is awesome. But I'm like, you know what? witch hunt isn't like a lighthearted thing because we're dealing with it in all these, all these different levels. I mean, people's lives are ending because of witch hunts. And of course, I'm, I'm sure back in the 1600s, just as now, uh, a lot of people sort of jump on the bandwagon for their own political, their own political gain. And it's certainly what we're seeing in Florida um, with Ron DeSantis. That's, um, that's, you can, you can, you can literally demonize people and and uh, whip up the hysteria, and then that puts you possibly farther ahead. Yeah, hysteria about evilness is is very real. Um, it's you know it is the const it's constantly there. I often will refer to um, this as like a hurricane. Where is it swirling over now to cause its destruction? But um, it's very real not the evil but the evil you know not um not the evil people are hunting but the evil that is hunting is real right, right. well it's it's just been fascinating to speak with all of you and again i look forward to um following i hope we can do a follow-up maybe as as we get closer to the connecticut legislative session later uh this year early next year and and just sort of see where you're at and um it's just, it's quite fascinating and, and, and fascinating that all of you with this interest have come together. Uh, and again, you know, talking about Sarah and her, her work and, and being able to, to harness social media to, to find new, find people who are also um, maybe between their, their genealogy and, and, and coming up with some of these interesting stories in their own families. Thank you so much for having us. I'm sure we would love to speak with you again. And Absolutely. Then, I was just going to say these questions and the opportunity to talk about it, it just fuels us even more because it, um, it just, it gives us 
me another opportunity to look at what is it I'm doing? Why am I doing this? And um, there is much more to come. I know there is. There absolutely is. I can guarantee that. Yeah. And, and thanks also to Laura. So it's wonderful to meet with all of you. And I just, I just am in awe really of the work Beth and Sarah and Josh have been doing. I, you know, I've been so attached to the story for over a decade and it's so exciting to know that people are addressing this and I'm really um, honored to be part of today's conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And, and then maybe this will also be an example for um, things that are happening in our own, in our own time. So uh, really appreciate it. Have a, have a good evening, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. You too. Bye-bye.